reading this morning comes from Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Behold my servant, whom I am uphold, my elected one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quelch. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus say God the Lord, who created the heavens and the stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in the righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and keep you as my covenant to the people, as the light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in the darkness from the prison's house. I am the Lord that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. New things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's the nature of prophecy right there. If you're not already turned to chapter 42, from which the scripture reading came and the sermon will come from, turn there now. In fact, I'd like you to even look at chapter 40, verse 1 first. Uh, with uh, laser-like focus, now God is turning Isaiah's attention to the future. He is going to look uh, not any longer as much at the present problems as he will drift even right on past the uh, exile, the captivity, and the return, and through a few more generations to the coming of this one now that he continues to expose, to reveal. Now these prophecies are becoming very detailed, as you can see. It gets more exciting. There's, there's less indictment and more excitement, and there is um, less prosecution and more resolution on the way, but he's looking, lifting his eyes and looking out now. And so as I do that, I see lots of openings in the pews. I hope Ezekiel Elliott uh, sees the field like that in a couple of weeks, all kinds of holes to run to. But uh, I appreciate uh, as you turn there and as we get ready to talk about Isaiah, some of the things that were said and done this morning by the, the men at the Lord's table. Uh, Alan, I know Alan uh, has been busy, um, refereed... Uh, officiated three football games this weekend, still managed to put together a, a nice and synchronized um, song service for us, not to mention to baptize his son into Christ last week. And so we, uh, we appreciate the, the effort that, that you all have put forth so far to bring us to this point where we can talk more about the Word of God 
and uh, look together at the glory of God. Indeed, it is present. If you are present, if you can mentally uh, be attuned to the things that are being spoken, I believe you'll be changed. I believe you'll be moved. And it won't be, as you know, by my persuasive power. It won't be through eloquence. It's going to be through the power of these words that are presented to us from centuries of old. Things that are springing forth and being told before they come to pass. In the imperative voice, in chapter 40, verse 1, the imperative, God says to Isaiah, speak comfort. Yes, comfort my people. It's a must. You must comfort them, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A reference to John the Baptist's work in getting ready, making a highway so that the Lord can come in and begin His teaching, the teaching of this law that was mentioned in Isaiah 42. The readiness for men to accept Him. He says, we're going to prepare a highway. Comfort my people. They've received all that I'm going to give them by way of punishment to turn them back. In fact, He speaks this prophetically. And he says, I've spoken on this, now we're going to look to the future. And so, as the people uh, are about to suffer through some of these things, he gives them hope to get them through it. With mighty power, channeled through a gentle spirit, the shepherd, you remember, the shepherd of Micah 5.3, who will stand strong and feed his flock, the shepherd will usher in something completely new on the earth. Look at Isaiah 42.9 again with me. The last verse of our scripture reading there this morning. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now look at chapter 43, verse 18. Do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. That sounds also like Isaiah 53, where he would spring up before him as a root out of dry ground. Here's a highway in the wilderness, rivers running through dry ground, all this alluding to this quenching of, of human thirst that is going to be so desperately needed in their time, in the time of Christ, and also today. And I assume you're gathered here today because you're thirsty. And so let's drink. What are some of these new things? What are some of the things that he's talking about? A new thing, but then he mentions new things. So there's going to be more than just one, but they can all be summarized into this one thing. And that is going to be found in chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant. 
This is going to be a new thing. My servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will, from chapter 7, verse 14, be born of a virgin. He will spring forth uh, at a time during the Roman Empire, as Daniel prophesied, and he will put on flesh and dwell among us. As Isaiah said, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is going to be a new thing. God is going to make himself known through the person of Jesus Christ on the earth. This has not happened before. This is a new thing, and when that happens, many new things will happen. So it's, it's both new and a new, uh, new thing, and also many new things. And so when Christ comes, one of the things he's going to do will bring forth justice to men. Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give him life a, his life a ransom for many. Here Jesus validates Isaiah's prophecy that my servant will come, my elect one. And he said, I am he who comes to serve. And anybody who watched him and listened to him recognized him, not as a ruler like the Gentiles, where they lorded it over the people, but as one who came to lead through service. And my, what an effect he had on the world through that service and his ministry. The embodiment of his servant in human flesh indeed would make him vulnerable to sin. But he said, I'll put my spirit upon him. And if you look down in verse 5 or verse 6 beginning, he speaks to the servant. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And here's how he's going to do it. I'll hold your hand. I'll keep you. And I'll give you as a covenant to the people. I've called you, I'll hold your hand, and I'll keep you. I was talking with someone this morning that this is a good definition of what it means to walk in the Spirit. When a Christian receives the Holy Spirit, God is present and powerful in our lives. And He's close in proximity. He wants to keep us close. He said to His servant, I will keep you by the hand close by. This is how His servant would be able to survive the temptation that would come in his flesh. And he did suffer temptation. The Hebrew writer says that he suffered being tempted, but he did not sin. And so he knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is that you're tempted. And he said in that letter to the Hebrews, he's able to aid you because of this. So he was here. He's done this. And he's done it successfully. And that uh, ministry is what we're going to be talking about this morning. His high objective will, to bring, will be to bring justice to the Gentiles, meaning in the Hebrew that he would decide their case. That he would decide their case as a judge. And so bringing justice means as a judge, he will make a decision on the Gentiles' behalf. The decision... To bring justice, you might think, <clears throat> that means we're going to get what we deserve. Indeed, that's what true justice is in its raw form, and that is 
punishment meet for the crime or appropriate for the crime. And those of us in sin, when justice is met out, would mean that we would pay with our lives for turning against God. Thankfully, that is not all that's encompassed in the biblical presentation of justice. Justice is when God is what God sees as right in His eyes. And it starts with the law. And he mentions the law here in chapter 42. The law will go forth from Jerusalem, from Zion, chapter 2, we read as well. He starts with that base law, but he includes in what is right in his sight, grace and mercy. That is, to give to men an opportunity that they don't deserve. And mercy would be to withhold that thing which they do deserve. And so God sees justice as what is right, and that is, it's right that I should create man and give him an opportunity to be reconciled with me after he sins. So this is what is right in God's eyes. And this is presented as giving justice, bringing justice to the Gentiles. Otherwise, it would sound frightfully scary. I don't want him to bring justice to me. I want him to temper it. I want him to season it with grace and mercy. In fact, that's how he presents his justice for us. And so, we see in uh, chapter 42 how he's going to do this. Look with me at verses 2, 3, and 4. He will not cry out, that is, with a thunderous voice in the Hebrew. He will not lift his voice or raise his voice, that is, to elevate it, to yell at people in the streets. A bruised reed, that is, someone who's broken in spirit and about to be dimmed down and put out. A, a smoltering rick, uh, wick, flax, he will not quench. He won't take his fingers as we might when a candle is, is put out and lick it and psst, burn it out. Rather, through his ministry, he'll bring forth justice for truth. That's a key word we're going to hone in on. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait. For his law. This verse 4, he will not fail nor be discouraged, is in, uh, uh, in company with verse 3. Uh, he will not put out a, or he will not uh, break a bruised reed because he will not be broken in discouragement. He will not quench a smoldering flax, the flax of someone's spirit going out, because he himself will not be dimmed down. And so the language is the same there in both. He'll stand strong. He'll do his ministry, but he'll do it with a quiet power, a gracefulness, a personal, interpersonal methodology that in fact will work its way from person to person and permeate the entire world. If you'd like to see a great example of this, hold your finger in Isaiah 42 and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Here is the example that I would give you of Jesus 
gently. Relighting a wick into a candle. And mending a reed that is bent and not useful. Verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? If it falls in, into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I'll put my spirit upon him, and he'll declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Jesus came into these towns and villages and began to work with real people. He'd start in the synagogues, but when the pressure was on and they put him out of the synagogue, he went house to house. He went person to person. He never found one place and stood up with a megaphone and shouted it all out. Even the Sermon on the Mount was the result of turning and seeing multitudes following him and finding a nice acoustical place on the side of the mountain. He said, I'm going to preach to these people. You're like sheep without a shepherd. And so we see Jesus not coming in and demanding and lording and pounding and hammering in his ministry on earth. We see Him coming in and teaching and letting truth permeate into the hearts of men. And that's why so often He said, and this question comes up a lot, why did He tell people not to tell others that He'd heal them? Because when that word went out and chaos broke out in the town that that He was there or His enemies would be gathered against Him, they would always be disrupting His service. You remember many times when he was in multitudes speaking or walking, people would interrupt him. They'd come up and want to touch him and so on. So he liked to do his work personally, and that's still how he likes to do it. He likes to do his work with you and him. That's his preference. Well, you ever marinated something to eat? Maybe you're marinating something right now for lunch some meat. You can marinate other things, but usually we marinate a meat and let it sit for a while. There's a difference between marinating something and serving something with a sauce. You know, if you you were fortunate enough to eat a steak today, um, you you might uh, put some A1 on the table and you could pour a little on your plate and you'd have a choice every bite whether you're going to dip it in that sauce or not. It's your choice. 
but truth is uh, not as much like a dipping sauce where we can just kind of choose it when we want as it is a marinade where we let it sit and sink in and just flavor the whole piece. And that's how his teaching is meant to work. He would present it, and oftentimes the meaning of it was not readily apparent. His disciples had to come to him uh, many times and say, what did you mean by that parable? Or why do you speak in parables? You know, it's too much thinking for us. Can you just shoot straight with us here? No, I like you to think about things. I like you to go home and let it marinate. That way it gets into the heart and changes your whole being. And you don't just sit out there as in a sermon and, and just say, well, I like that, I don't like that, I like that, I don't like that, like it's a buffet. Like to let that sink in. That's why some of these teachings that are difficult of Jesus, you ought not to turn away from, you ought to look further into. They're going to reach deeper down into your heart. And this, in fact, was the nature of His ministry. He didn't break reeds, He didn't put out uh, dim-lit flames. And how many of those we have in the world today um, Rick alluded to it in the Lord's Supper. Rodney, when he prayed, prayed for the, the lengthy prayer list. Uh, too numerous to mention, in fact, all of them. Um, but there are a lot of people who are ill today that are suffering physically, but that often leads to a flicker of the flame. Uh, our, our physical condition many times affects our spiritual condition. This is why we want to pray for those who are sick, both physically and spiritually. If it's God's will, He'll heal them. Uh, we should ask boldly for His mercy for their, for their uh, bodies. But also, we need to pray for their flame to be lit. And haven't you seen people who, in their illness and sickness, still have a, a bright, shining flame? Their attitude, their, their outlook on things is still lit bright. I've seen that so many times. It's so encouraging. And this is Jesus down in the heart giving hope. And uh, though their outward person is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And that flame is being lit. And this is how Jesus liked to work. Think about how He would have lit up the heart of the woman who was brought to Him in adultery, just sure to be condemned under the law. And Jesus needed more greatly to teach mercy to these people who knew the law. They knew what it encompassed. They knew what needed to be done, but they were dereft of any mercy, of any grace. And when He taught that great lesson of those of you who are without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. He was upholding the law. But they realized quickly, none of us are without sin. And the oldest realized it first. <laughs> and then the youngest finally said, well, I guess if the old guys are not too proud, I better... I better tuck my tail and get out of here too because uh, of my conduct. But he looked down at the woman and he said, where are your accusers? And she said, nowhere. And he said, neither do I accuse you. He said, go. And he upheld the law by saying, sin no more. But see, he brought a whole presentation of God's justice to her. So she understood the importance of obedience, but she also had the hope of forgiveness. Wow. And it reaches back into the Old Testament too. He was doing it all along. Think about Elijah when he was uh, desperate and fleeing for his life and his friends, the prophets, were being murdered at the hands of Jezebel and Ahab. And, and he was in the desert under a broom tree. And an angel of the Lord was sent to him 
And what did he do? Did he scold him? Did he beat him over the head with the Bible? He just touched him and he said, get up and eat. And then he let him sleep for a while. He touched him again. He said, eat some more. You need some strength for your journey. He went all the way to Mount Horeb in the south, down by the Red Sea. And on that mountain, God revealed Himself by a shaking mountain and an earthquake and by a strong wind and by a fire. But Elijah noticed God wasn't saying anything or presenting Himself in those powerful ways. But then he heard that still small voice. You see, this is the way of God. This is how He's presenting Himself. And now Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God in the flesh on the earth, is ministering. And this is how truth has its work. This is why Paul said to Timothy, the young preacher, he said, Timothy, servants of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, patient, able to teach in humility. Correcting those who are in opposition that perhaps God will grant them repentance. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to, to just show everybody you're right. He wants them to turn in repentance that all may be saved. As Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, this is the ministry of Jesus. We have it spelled out here in Isaiah. Would you look at this? Would you look at the uh, detail now that we're getting into here? Well, that's how truth works in this uh, life lived in Christ. Not only told, but shown. They could see Him uh, doing things that taught the same lessons. How powerful that is. I'll give you another example <clears throat> of what I believe historically shows how truth permeates from within. I believe that the issue, the sensitive subject and issue of slavery throughout history, although not all slavery is, is the same or presented the same or was conducted in the same way, wherever Christianity, wherever the Gospel has gone, Slavery has been eradicated in one way, shape, or form. It has driven it out. And in many of those cases, it wasn't by the forceful demands of, of a dictator or leader, a president, or a king. It was the presentation of the truth that all men are created in the image of God that caused men to look differently at each other. We have an example in the Bible of one runaway slave uh, Onesimus who came and found Paul and was taught the gospel and Paul had the audacity to send him back to his slave owner Philemon and that's that New Testament book you have there right before Hebrews he sent him back and he said Philemon I know you'll receive him back it won't be the same he's your brother now but he didn't say don't don't receive him back as a slave he just knew that Philemon would never be able to see him the same way again I don't know what happened in that relationship, if he actually took him back as a slave or not. But I know one thing's for sure. I know one thing's for sure. The, the uh, net worth of Philemon or any of these slave owners was, was now brought lower while the self-worth of the slave was lifted up and they were all on equal ground. And it's pretty hard to continue to own people as property when you start seeing them as your brother. And that's what happened. Not without turmoil in our country, not too long ago. But that was what was happening. Was Within the hearts, there was a movement that something needed to be done to be more in harmony with the gospel of Christ. And so there are many examples of how this truth has worked wonders to change the world. 
that change the world for the good, and uh, that's that's certainly one of them. So, finally, we see uh, we see this last thing. Not in Isaiah necessarily, but I'm throwing it in as uh, something that cannot be overlooked. A new commandment I give to you, based upon what you have heard and received and seen in Christ Jesus. He said, a new commandment I give you to His disciples in John 13, after they ate that supper together and He had washed their feet. I give you a new commandment. The new commandment was not to love. The new commandment was to love like I've loved you. You see, we couldn't do that without first having God in the flesh presented to us to see and behold and understand and learn. Now we have Him. You and I, we haven't seen Him with our eyes, but we can study Him in these Gospels and come close to Him and know who He is through the writings of, of these men empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we can see Him, and then when He says, now love like I love, and by this the world will know that you're My disciples, we now need to understand that when we take up the new commandment, before we can sing a new song, need to take up a new commandment to love one another like Christ loved men. And that is agape love. It's self-sacrificial love. It's putting others before yourself love and yet understanding your own self-worth. All in the balance of understanding your glory for God. And this is what He's after. He's after, he's after your heart. He's after your giving Him glory as a beautiful creation of His just like you create gardens and you create artwork and you create um, projects and you stand back and you look and you say, I have pride in that. He's created us to take pride in us, to say, now that brings me glory. That's why I did this. It's, it's, it's well uh, what I've done. And that's, that's the purpose here of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It wasn't with force, it wasn't with hatred. It wasn't with military might. It was with love. Napoleon Bonaparte had something to say about that. He was blown away by the nature of the kingdom of Christ throughout the world. And he had many things to say about it. And he, he just couldn't get over that in three and a half years. Think of this. <laughs> three and a half less than less than a one-term president. How much he accomplished. Wow. Wow. It's because He was truth. It's because He brought justice. It's because He is, in fact, the Son of God doing what no other person could do. And that is opening up the heavens for us to see, to understand the worlds were created by God, that He is righteous, and that we are His creatures and will stand before Him and give an account of our lives to Him. You see, He came the first time to heal. He came the first time to bring grace in its fullest, to bring truth so that we might know Him. But the next time He comes, He's coming apart from this. He's coming because of sin for judgment. He'll receive those who have received Him to eternal glory, but those who have rejected Him, the Thessalonian letter says He'll take vengeance upon them. In his presentation as the shepherd in Isaiah, he says that with a strong arm he'll gather in the lambs. But over 
in the New Testament, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me but scatters abroad, him I will judge. And so by your life, you stand and testify whether you're with him or against him. The idea that you're a good person, but you're not in a covenant relationship with with Christ as he has given to us for a covenant. The idea that you're a good person, if you're not in a covenant relationship with God, your life testifies that you do not believe that he is worthy of you giving your life to. It doesn't matter how many good works you may do. If you do not profess Jesus Christ as the one who has made you and the one to whom you will give an answer, your life actually testifies against Him. It convinces other people that they don't have to follow Him too. Just like when you stand with Him, it convinces people that they ought to follow Him as well. And so there's no gray area, there's no middle ground. You're either in covenant relationship with Him or you're not. And so He's made that very clear from Isaiah. And I'm making that clear as I can to you today. So on that note, let's sing this song that Alan has uh, picked out for us. And if you need to make a decision on your behalf, as God has made a decision for you to save you, come forward while we stand.